0: You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at bonecur.net. That's b o n c o e u r.net and use the code citycast 20 The popularity of natural wine has exploded in the last several years, especially here in Oregon. But does it actually deserve all that hype, or is it just another trend? Orange wine, I'm looking at you. On Thursdays, we talk food here on CityCast Portland, and today our host, Claudia Meza, is talking with Brent Braun, sommelier at OK Omens. They are a National James Beard Award semifinalist for Outstanding Wine Program this year. He's going to be talking about the roots of natural wine and why he thinks that Oregon might have some of the best natural wine in the country. It's Thursday, March 9th. I'm John Natariani, and this is what Portland's talking about.
1: So, Brent, uh, first question, just straight off. Is natural wine over (laughs)
2: Oh, is natural wine over? No, natural wine's not over. Natural wine's been around for a long time and it's not going anywhere. If anything, it's only gaining in popularity as a kind of, as it gains more mass appeal and as more people start to uh, get a gist of what it is and what it
1: means. You know, I was reading up on the trends and someone compared it, and I just love this comparison, to grunge in the 90s. <laughs> but grunge did not last. Uh, but you're saying that natural wine has always been around. It's it's basically one of the oldest ways of making wine. So the only thing that's new are all the people just sort of like, I don't know, getting hip to it.
2: Yeah, because I think, you know, when you think about it, all wine was essentially made naturally until... I guess around World War II, when we started inventing a lot of chemicals for farming and winemaking. And so, really, natural wine is a throwback to the way things were done. And the wine that has been made conventionally since, we'll call it again, the 1950s until, I mean, it's still being made. Um, that's more the blip on the radar, if anything. Wines made like that kind of tend to lack a little bit of soul. And so, hmm. uh, we're just bringing the soul back, you know?
1: For those who are just like, I don't, I still don't get it. What do we mean by natural wine? I mean, you just laid out, you know, not using pesticides, which I always thought was just uh, organic wines.
2: Totally. So I'm going to, I think the best way to get uh, someone's head around this is, uh, first off, you can can divide divide natural wine almost into two things. You can divide it into the wine itself and you can divide it into the wine culture surrounding it. Uh, We'll start with the wine side of it. And then within that, you're broken down into two categories, into the viticulture side, aka the farming of the grapes and then the winemaking side of it. As far as the farming of the grapes, uh, the idea natural winemaking would be no pesticides, no herbicides, uh, no big chemical interventions in the vineyard. I, I think a big one for a lot of us ends up being just like no glyphosate. Glyphosate is, we it is a known eh, carcinogenic, whatever. And uh, it's used in vineyards still. We use it for a lot of things still and it's it's ridiculous. So that's like the vineyard side of it. If you're farming like that, your yeah. grapes should have uh, native yeast populations on them because you didn't blast the yeast away with chemicals, which means that you can take those grapes into a, a winery and they'll start off natural fermentation. So you don't have to add cultured yeast. So you don't have to add yeast that were created in a lab. And so this would be part of the natural that side is, of the- Gotcha. Yeah, yep. Yep. Yeah, so it, all t- yeah. it really all ties in. Um, you know, one thing leads to another. You have a lot of these- Uh, winemakers in France who've talked about how when they tried to move uh, their winemaking to not adding yeast and to not adding additions and to not messing around with it, they found that it didn't work until they fixed the way they farmed. Because if you bring in unhealthy grapes, you're not going to be able to make wines without
1: a bunch of manipulations in the cellar. It's just not going to turn out very well. So something about Oregon's wine country, it's special. But I think a lot of people don't know exactly why. And so I always thought it was the culture. Like, what's so special about this region? Right. I mean,
2: in some ways, it just kind of fits the Oregon ethos in general. I mean, we're not that uptight of a culture. Also, the wine, uh, the current wine industry, which was, you know, burked in the 1960s, it's fairly young. So there's not that like, uh, as long of a precedent of it being here. Um, and I think Oregon's always had this kind of sense of being an underdog, which which helps, you know? When, mm-hmm. when you're an underdog, you kind of, everyone's banding together, everyone wants to be on the same page. There's always been this kind of culture, you know, long before I was around, of course, of sharing information, sharing equipment. Right. And I think that's continued to this day into the natural wine culture. I mean, so many of the smaller natural or natural-focused or natural-leaning wineries are all in mm-hmm. communication with each other all the time. When that's like the baseline of what's established, if you're new and you find out that everyone else is like that, then you end up being like that too. And you're like, okay, this is how we do this. We share, we share information, yeah, yeah. we share what we've learned. And it just kind of self-perpetuates itself.
1: And what about the wine itself? Like, what is so special about our region?
2: We have a great, great you know, area for growing grapes. There's there's no question about that at this point. You know, the exposures are right. The growing climate is different than you know, Burgundy, which is what we we're always emulating, but it's It's similar enough that it kind of gets us where we need to go. And as much as anything, it's just a lot of human passion over the last 40 years to prove that this is a world-class wine region, and uh, it, it clearly is.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask about the region in general. The natural wine scene itself has had very large growth in the last 10 years or so. So what do you think the most significant change has been.
2: I think there's a, a couple factors that have really been in Oregon's favor. I think the first one is a proximity to Portland. When you have a city, you're just exposed to new things all the time, and that bleeds into, trickles into the wine region. And so I think having Portland right here is really important. And then also, it's affordable to still buy, well, not so much to buy land, but to buy grapes here. Unlike somewhere like Napa, where, you know, I'm going to, great Napa fruit, the high end Napa fruit might be $10,000 a ton, which is insane. Where in Oregon, you still have access to affordable grapes and it gives young people room to experiment because if the buy in is only, $1500, $2000 for a ton of grapes. You can afford to like save up that money, and be like, I'm going to take a flyer on my first ton of grapes and if it comes out great, then you can start a business and all of a sudden you can start being a winemaker,
0: you know. Coming up after a quick break, we're going to take a look at how the culture of drinking wine has changed in the last several years.
1: And Portland wine culture itself, even when I, since I've been here for like nearly twenty years, <laughs> it's it's changed a lot. I oh mean, the God, fact yeah. that wine bars are becoming more approachable, like they they feel. They don't feel as, like, snooty, you know?
2: Yeah, no, that shift is uh, that shift is so fun in Portland. And it really—so you think about the the wine bars of the kind of 90s and early 2000s, and, you know, they would all be—they were called, like, sip and taste and, you know, yeah, things yeah. like that. And it was always—you know, I always call them, like, wine bars for your mom type, like, generation mm-hmm. of wine bars. Yeah, like, it, that shift into kind of the current wave of wine bars— I think about in around you know 2018 or so when we opened OK Omens, um, that movement was happening all around the city where a lot of us had been to Europe. We'd seen the wine bar, the natural wine bar culture happening in London and Paris. And we were like, we need that here. Like we need to have mm-hmm. casual places for people to drink wine, drink interesting wine. And to kind of help build what in some ways feels like a youth culture of like young people choosing to come drink natural wine instead of going to a dive bar or instead of going to a cocktail bar. The late night part didn't work out so well. Almost none of us made it as late night places because um organically farmed fruit is still kind of expensive and it's uh it's still more it still costs more to drink that wine than it does to drink, you know, cheap whiskey and cheap beer at a dive bar.
1: We could it be, and I'm just like, you would know a lot more than than me, of course, but could it be that when you you don't really need any kind of food to open up a wine bar as opposed to like a bar bar. Cause I go to my local wine bar and at a certain point I have to go to Slim's because I need to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And then there's only so many tins and little crackers that you can have and it's not going to satiate like dinner. Since you've become a restaurant, has anything changed? Do you think people stay longer? or
2: We uh, we stopped uh, right before COVID. We cut our hours down. Um, I think we were open till 12 originally and then we moved to 11 and then with COVID and, and the shift to being a restaurant, you know, we close at 10 now. But nonetheless, uh to your point, if you had somewhere that looked like, let's say that looked like Bar Norman, which have you been into Bar Norman?
1: I don't think so. Okay. No. I mean it's it's Where's inc- that
2: at? Kind of that little area where like uh Le Moule and um and uh Clinton Street Theater are but um so in
1: the Clinton neighborhood, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: You go in and it's so charming and again, so classic. If it has such a classic uh Parisian wine bar feel to it in a way. And yeah, to your point, if a place like that was able to have like a full dinner menu, you know, what would that mean for for late night? I, I, it's hard to say. I mean, it really complicates everything, though, because from a, you know, just from a financial perspective of then you have, I mean, you have a kitchen and things break in kitchens and you have food and food wastage and you have to hire cooks and it it definitely makes it a lot more complicated. <laughs> yeah. And I, I really think that the monetary aspect is a big part of it of just the buy-in's a lot higher. And so.
1: Yeah. So one of the reasons we also brought you up Brent is that a bit ago I was talking to Brooke uh from Eater and uh I kind of gave a hot I do a lot of hot takes sometimes they land and this <laughs> one did not land with Brooke and I and I and I told her I was like, "You know what? I think that orange wine might be a little overrated." And she just like really was like mm, like she was per- she clutched pearls. <laughs> um
2: yeah, Brooke and her pearls, always always those pearls around her neck, right? The giant pearls. <laughs>
1: but I wanted to talk to you about orange wine specifically because my whole thing is just like, well, it the way it was being treated, like, oh, orange wine. I'm just like, it's literally just the skins. They're leaving the skins on. Like, what? So why are you guys freaking out? Because I remember that was the feeling I had when orange wine came out. Like, oh, you don't know orange wine. And I feel like orange wine was the natural wine, and now natural wine. Now there's natural orange wine, which to (laughs) me, I'm just like, oh, okay, well then. So, uh, okay, so uh, there's kind of a lot uh, embedded
2: in that. Um, So, uh, (laughs) so, okay, so...
1: I get that a lot.
2: Yeah, I, I think There's a lot uh, here embedded. If you don't mind, I'll do just a, a one minute on what orange wine is, in case anyone's kind of like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Yes, um, please. not not made from oranges, uh, which <laughs> we, is still a really common question we get it, uh, you know, at the restaurant. So, or the best way to think about orange wine is that it's kind of the sibling, um, cousin, or something to rose, where. If you think about rosé, which everybody at least has heard of rosé, with rosé you're taking red grapes and you're basically making them like white wine. With orange wine, you're taking white grapes and you're making them more like red wine. So, this kind of flipping. So, you take these white grapes, which usually with white grapes, you would just again like squeeze the juice out of as a simplification, and you crush them, you macerate them, you macerate them with their stems, like you and their skins, like you would with a red wine. And the end result uh, is going to be a wine that has picked up this kind of amber or orange or pink hue from the color of uh, whatever it can pull from those white grape skins. And so, mm-hmm. I think bar. Part of the, you know, we'll call it hype or whatever, it was just that it, it felt like a new category. And coming off of like the five-year, six-year craze of people being so rabid for rosé, it was like, well, this is just something new to be excited about. And it brought a lot of people into wine, which I appreciate. it's uh, Oftentimes orange wines or skin contact wines, whatever you want to call them, can have a more combination of like savory and fruity. And I, so I think a lot of people who... Uh, maybe you thought rosé wines were a little like insipid or just just fruit juice. We're like, hey, this is cool. There's some like spice and earth to this refreshing beverage as well. Yeah. It opened the door to a lot of 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 drinkers, and thus, you know, as happens, a lot of winemakers started being like, well, shoot, I need to make an orange wine because like this stuff is is flying right now, mm-hmm. and it does feel like peak orange wine has kind of like crested, if you will. Like, and uh, that's what
1: I'm saying, and that's what I was talking about.
2: Orange wine's not like orange <laughs> wine's not going anywhere. It is, again this is a very historic yeah. style of winemaking. And and like anything, there's a spectrum from like quick maceration, chug by the river orange wines, and hopefully you're mm-hmm. paying 20, 25 bucks a bottle for that stuff, to yeah. like long maceration, serious wines that have again the structure of great red wines coming from great fruit sources that like they they belong on the dinner table with the 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 in the best restaurants. And those ones are gonna be a lot more expensive. And so I uh, it'll be my point is to say that the category is not going anywhere um, and it shouldn't. It's a it's an important category and there's a lot of delicious things to be drunk within that category.
0: And now for your microdose of news, a local law firm is planning to file more than a dozen lawsuits on behalf of black shoppers alleging racial profiling at Portland area chain stores. One notable story from Willamette Week, a 32-year-old creative director at the ad agency Wyden and Kennedy says a security guard accused her of shoplifting and threatened to call the police after she bought three lipsticks at Sephora in January. And apparently Republicans can still win big points by bashing Portland, no matter what the facts might be. A number of Walmarts announced recently that they were closing here in the city. And earlier this week, Texas Governor Greg Abbott took a shot at us on Twitter. He said, quote, this is what happens when cities refuse to enforce the rule of law. It allows the mob to take over. Of course, Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler fired back. He pointed out that retail theft is a national issue and that dozens of Walmarts have closed in recent years in the state of Texas. For more local news and events, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland, we'll throw a link in the show notes. Well, that's all for today here on CityCast Portland. If you enjoyed the show, you should tell a friend about it, rate us, or leave us a review. I'm John Natariani, in for Claudia Meza. We'll be back with more news from around the city tomorrow morning. Until then, maybe I'll see you at Slim's.